Yeah, good question. And I hope my dad never listens to this podcast because he's been talking about this for years. <laughs> and we've never done it. Um, so he uh, he's always says we need a list of appliances in each unit, what year they were purchased, so we can go into that unit, in, you know, go into that unit uh, via Google Docs and see when. You know, how, well, how old is the refrigerator? You know, if the tenant's calling and saying that refrigerator isn't working, do we send a, a repair guy or do we send a new refrigerator? You know, if it's 10 years old, you send a new refrigerator. If it's one year old, you send a repair guy. It is a common saying amongst real estate investors that you make money when you buy, not when you sell. While this catchy phrase has value, it fails to convey how easy it is to lose money through poor property management. Whether you self-manage or hire a professional, it is important to understand how to navigate the common pitfalls and challenges with rental properties without losing your shirt or your mind. That's why you have tuned in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. I'm your host, John Stiles, real estate agent and team leader of the VIP Real Estate Group at Bridge Realty. As a current multifamily investor and former property manager myself, I understand the headaches and difficulties of keeping an investment property from becoming a money pit and time sucker. It takes a solid business plan, it takes tested systems, and it takes key team members to actually find success. So let's take a deep dive and maximize your property value. Welcome back everybody to another episode of Maximizing Your Property Value. My name is John Stiles with Bridge Realty, and I'm excited for another great episode. I'm excited today to introduce you to Brian Doyle, who is with Doyle Property Group. Uh, Brian purchased his first house while he was in college and rented that out to roommates. Uh, and then he has, since then, grown his portfolio of properties to 65 doors, all while having a day job. So Brian, thanks so much for coming into the studio today. I love it, John. Thanks for uh, inviting me, man. This is uh, this is fun. Wonderful. So, Brian, why don't you fill in the gaps a little bit there and tell our audience, you know, how you got started in real estate and how you got to where you're at today. Yeah, no, I, I appreciate that. Um, yeah, so I mean, um, you know, my story is I, uh, um, yeah, if you go way back, I uh, <laughs> I love this story, but if you go way back, it's uh, I really learned that I wanted to be an entrepreneur when I was in Cub Scouts. Uh, back in the day, they uh, they said whoever win you know sells the most popcorn wins a bike, and uh, I was like, man, I'm gonna win that bike, you know. And everybody said you can't do it, and and I did it, and I realized at that moment that it's like if you if you're an entrepreneur and you're in control of whatever you do, you're the the sky's the limit, you know what I mean? If you're uh, if you're an employee, which is also fine, but if you're an employee, then you know your 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 max is your per hour wage or whatever. You know what I mean? Uh, as an as a entrepreneur, you can hire people, um, you can grow, you can shrink, you can you know you just have a lot more uh, options. You know, and that's what I really did learn that in Cub Scouts, believe it or not, when I was like twelve. So so it's good to start early. Yeah, no, it was super fun. So so I guess what happened after that was then I went to college and I really wanted to start my own business. And a lot of the great businesses in the world have been started when people are in college. So I mean, I think if anybody's listening to this and they have college age kids or high school age kids or maybe they're in high school or college themselves, 
I mean, really, you've got an opportunity that's like this golden time in your life that you'll never have again as far as I'm concerned, you know? That's not to say you can't start it with a family and do all that other stuff because there's other ways to do it that we can talk about. But, you know, when you're in college, you've got almost no expenses. You have the ability to live off ramen, you know? And and you can invest your money, you know? And you can start a business. And if you fail, so what? Like, you, you, you had no money to start with. So your worst case scenario is you have no money after the business fails. So like you're already in your worst case scenario, right? <laughs> so why not, why not go, go for it and do something fun and, and go for it. So that's what I, I did. I decided I was like, I want to buy a house and I want to rent it out to my friends. And my friends got a great deal and I got a great deal because I lived for free. Um, and, uh, my parents, my friends were paying below market rent. My parents got a great deal because they didn't have to pay for my rent, you know? Um, and I liked real estate. And the reason I liked real estate is because if you buy a stock and it's underperforming, there's not much you can do. You can either buy it or sell it. Right. And, uh, but if you, if you, uh, if you have real estate and it's underperforming, you can paint it, you can go over there and mow the lawn, you can go weed, you can plant some bushes and then you just have infinite number of possibilities on how to, you know, increase that assets value. And, um, and that's why I like real estate so much. So nice. Yeah. So then how did you uh, grow that portfolio after college and, and how quickly did you grow it? Well, I grew it pretty slow because I think you need to grow slow. I don't think you need to grow slow at the beginning, but I think I, I did. And, and the reason I did is because I, you know, real estate's also the problem with the, the benefits are you can fix it up and, and do that. The, the problem with real estate is that it, it's expensive, right? I mean, like to buy another asset it, right now, another condo or whatever is like a hundred thousand dollars, you know, or something like that. That's a lot of money, right? So, uh, so you do have to go slow at the beginning because you don't have the money to grow faster. At least I didn't, right? So, um, my next house that I bought was, uh, was my girlfriend's house. Uh, so I had a, I had a girlfriend that was living in a house with a landlord. And the landlord came over a couple times to try to fix a leak that was in the bathroom. It was leaking from the bathroom to the kitchen, you know. And the landlord comes over and he's so angry. <laughs> he comes over and he's fixing this leak and he fixes it again. He's fixing it for the third time. He's yelling at the tenants. And I kind of just started talking to him. I said, well, why don't I buy this house from you? You know, and I'll fix the leak. And he's like, yeah, that sounds great. I would love to sell this house. His situation was, and I think there's a lot of people like this in the world, is that he um, he had bought a house for his kid in college, and then his kid moved out after college, and he decided to hang on to it as a rental. Well, he wasn't he was never set up to be a landlord. He he didn't really enjoy being a landlord. He lived in the cities, and this was in Duluth, you know, so he's three hours away from the property. Um, you know, he just. It was a big house. It, there's a million reasons why he, he wasn't a good fit for this house. Like, it worked for him, but now he wanted to get out. So it's kind of a perfect thing. And what I learned from that story that your listeners can learn is, like, it's like, dude, everybody, every house is for sale. Every single house is for sale. Just go ask them if they're willing to sell. And, and let's say about, let's say people move on average of every 10 years. I mean, I don't know what the statistic is. Do you? Is it seven? Um, I would something? say seven, probably. Okay, so every seven years, okay? So listen, just think about that. If I go knock on seven doors, okay, that means every seventh house I knock on, those people are thinking about moving that year. If I'm doing the math right, you know what I mean? So it's like, why not? Uh, I'm not positive that math is right, but <laughs> but it's something like that, right? So it's like, 
honestly, it's like go out and talk to people and ask them, hey, are you interested in selling? And if you're interested in selling, let me tell you why I'd be a good buyer for it. So yeah, so that's that. That's how I bought my second one. Okay. So very good. Um, and then so you're sitting at about sixty five doors now. Mm-hmm. Yep. And uh, what's your kind of plan going forward? Is are you continuing in growth mode or? Dude, good question, Sean. And uh, if you could help me figure that out, I'd appreciate it because uh, for like the last year, maybe two, I have been struggling to figure out my plan, right? I, I would love to, I'd love to get to about 300 doors. Okay. okay. 300 doors, I think, um, would be a good number because you'd have, you can f- afford a large enough staff to really step away. Okay. At 60 doors, you, you can hire a staff where you can mostly step away, but you're still kind of, you know, you're still kind of overseeing everything, right? Yeah. Um, 300 doors, I think you could hire a president and vice president and of leasing and a vice president of, you know, maintenance and things like that. Okay. Uh, so that's my goal is 300 units. But uh, like we are talking before, you know, the prices are up there, you know, I mean, really up there for multifamily. So uh, that doesn't mean you can't make it work. Um, there's a bunch of people that are making it work, you know, but like, I just, um, I just don't, I don't see the numbers working right now for big multifamily. So what does that mean for me? I own a bunch of condos. I think I'm going to go back to buying condos again. You know, um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in, you know, smaller multifamily, uh, excuse me, smaller single family deals. Um, I think there's a lot of opportunity in college towns because there's a lot of owners that, um, you know, that have bought a house for their kid and their kid moved on just like I bought with that other guy. And I think if you called enough people, you'd eventually run into, uh, run into those sellers. Yeah. And then just give us a brief picture. So you've mentioned condos. Is that the majority of what you own? Yeah. I was just looking at this the other night. So I think I own 49 condos. Um, so of that 65, a large percentage is condos. The rest are, I own a small seven-unit apartment building. I own um, investments in other people's buildings. You know, um, a friend of, friend of ours has a property in, in uh, Lexington that I, that I have a, a small ownership share in. And uh, another gentleman that, from the cities here, I have four or five units, uh, four or five buildings with him that I'm a limited partner on. Okay. So. Very good. And fun. then. So the condos that you own um, entirely, are those primarily here in Minneapolis Metro or are they spread out elsewhere? Uh, they're primarily primarily in just two associations, believe it or not. Okay. So, uh, and that's the other thing why I think, I think a lot of people maybe, I don't know your listener base yet, right? But like, I think a lot of people are trying to get into apartments, you know, or get into investments, right? Which is awesome. I think they should get into investments and I think they should rip the bandaid off and just do it, you know? even if they're overpaying for their first one, because I think that first one's the hardest, right? But this is the advantage, right? After you buy your first one, like I bought one in a place called Hidden Park Condominiums uh, in 2008. And since then, I've, I've become the president of the association. You know, I'm really involved with it. I, uh, I've, I've talked on all the neighbors. I say, hey, if you're, willing, if you're interested in selling, I'm buying. You know what I mean? So I think I have like 19 units in just that association alone. Um, and, and that's why I think it's such an advantage to, after you buy one, go talk to the neighbors, you know, and their neighbors and their neighbors. 
And uh, that's why condos are so cool because they're so easy to evaluate too. Like I know I bought this one bedroom uh, for 50000 This other bedroom, one bedroom right next door is totally remodeled. That means it's worth sixty, you know? Or it's totally trashed, and that means it's worth forty-five. You know, it's like it's just so easy to dial in the numbers, right? Um, and the other uh, big association I own, uh, another tw- a block of tw- twenty or so, in, is uh, Meadow Creek Condominiums in Hopkins. So I think they're both good associations. They both have their pros and cons. Um, the problem with condos is that there's a lot of you know there's a lot of other owners around you. If you own one apartment building then you have a neighbor on both sides, right? If you own a condominium, then you've got other people making decisions on the roof and the association dues and the reserve requirements, all this other stuff that you have out of your control. So there's pros and cons, but um, I like them. Yeah. So you've kind of combated that by just buying the whole building almost or buying yeah. several of the units? Yeah, that would be a – there is a guy named Joe Knapp, I think is his name. Um, I can get it for you if you want, but, uh, he actually did buy every condominium in a condominium complex in Hopkins and converted it back to an apartment building. Okay. Um, so that was, uh, that was interesting. Yeah. <laughs> Both those associations, one has a, so the one I have 20 units in, it has, it has like 450 units. So I think it'd be pretty hard to buy all those. Yeah. And the other one has uh, 68 units. So I'm about a third of the way there, but but uh, so that, that'd be hard also. But uh, <laughs> but but here's the other thing I'll tell you about condos real quick. If, they're cool because they're easy to trade to. I mean, a lot of people have, I mean, not a lot of people, but a lot of people are willing to buy a $100,000 something, right? You know, if I own a, if I own a $110 million something, you know, there's less people out there that want to buy that, you know? Um, if I own a $100,000 something, I can, you know, walk down the street and say, hey, you want to buy this $100,000 thing? Um, and I, and that's luckily, I think I could sell it. So, yeah, very good. Well, listen, what I want to talk about next is having a business plan for your rental properties. I'm not sure if you have, you know, actually written anything down for yourself, but maybe that's my first question. Have you, have you created a written business plan for your properties? Um, I don't know if I've ever written a business plan, but I love, love, love the start with the end in mind philosophy, right? You got to know where you're going. And that's why I've struggled so much in the last couple of years because I just kind of, I'm floundering. I don't know where to go, right? I've actually, in the last few months uh, or maybe even year, I've really, really buckled down on my full time job. So I don't know if I told you that. I have a full time job. Um, I sell blinds to apartment buildings and I've absolutely dove headfirst. I mean, I've always been headfirst into it, but now I'm like really, really, really diving into it. And that's kind of the fun about having a full-time job is that if, if real estate is, you know, kind of overpriced for a little bit or, or you haven't found a good deal, it's like no big deal. Just go. I never feel the pressure to do a deal because I got a job. I have a job to work on. You know what I mean? So that's good and bad. You know, it was probably bad in 08, 09, and 10 when I probably should have been 100% focused on real estate. It's probably good now that I don't feel the pressure to do a deal, you know? So, um, so oh, so, but back to your plan, right? Here's what I, I've done for years, okay? It, the studies, the show, okay, that if you have a plan, it's unbelievable. I mean, unbelievable how much more effective people with plans are than people without plans. There's some Harvard study about uh, the Harvard grads that wrote a plan versus Harvard grads that didn't write a plan and their their collective net worth. You know, it's just unbelievable, right? Um, 
But so what I've done is I haven't had a plan as much as I've I've always done this thing called an action. Right? Well, it's an action plan, right? So I used to get together with four buddies in high school, the four of my high school buddies. After college, we got together like once a month and we just wrote down our action plans. Okay. We had our month action, our short term, which was a month, our midterm, which is whatever you want it to be, but our, mine was always like a year, you know, or so. I don't know. It wasn't that rigid, but um, short term, midterm, and then long term, you know. And, and the long-term stuff was fun, right? Like, you know, I was like, I want to go to Nepal or, you know, I want to do like, uh, um, I don't know. There's all sorts of stuff on there, right? Um, but what happens when you write those things down is you get together with your buddies. And the first time you do it, it's easy, right? Because like your action plan is like, well, I got to clean the garage, you know? or And things you, you do need to get done. But like things I need to do, I got to clean my garage. I got to get all those returns to, sent back to uh, Home Depot and all this stuff, right? About four or five or six months in, all the easy stuff's done, right? Now you're talking about some tough stuff, right? And, uh, and, and it might be I want to go on a date with my wife, you know, or something like that. But then what happens is you don't do – so you do it on the first. You meet on the first. You don't – nobody does anything until about the 25th, <laughs> you know, or 26th. And you're like, holy crap, I've got my – I got to meet with my buddies here, you know, in four days. I don't want to be the loser that's like, oh, I didn't do anything. You know what I mean? So then you you scramble to get it done. But you're getting it done. So it's so important. So I would say if anybody, you know, else is out there, it's hard to find people that are of like-minded that you can do it with. But go find four, two or three or one other person that you're willing to do like an action plan with. And then and then go do it and go do it and meet once a month or we meet once a quarter even you know yeah that's an awesome way to kind of hold each other accountable so yeah that's a great example and I think a lot of people approach their rental properties without a plan absolutely like I, I put out this question on Facebook the other day and yeah. said you know do you have a business plan for your rental properties yeah and I got some responses like make money yeah <laughs> you know yeah. Or, all right, you know, just some thing, general things I like know. that, which, yeah. yeah, of course, that's that's worked for this guy that that mentioned that. You know, he's done it for years, and yep. he just he just makes money at it. But yeah. but if you want to be you know efficient, if you want to be successful beyond that, yeah, I think you have to write it down and and have a plan. No, I totally agree. So, um, yeah. what what types of things, even though you haven't written it specifically for a rental property, what types of things could you put in to a business plan for your rental property? Well, I think I think I think a plan is super important. Okay, and just because I have, don't have a, a daily plan, we do we do have a lot of systems in place, right? And we do have uh, a goal sheet, right? So my goal is three hundred units, right? And uh, I have taken a piece of paper and I've actually written it out, like, okay, how, what does that mean? How many units do I need to buy a year to get to that by fifty five? Okay, I'm forty two right now. You know, I need to. I want to. I want to have that by fifty five. Okay. And I think a lot of times people don't write the plan down because they don't like. I don't. I don't want to set set myself up for failure. I don't want to guess too high or too low or whatever. My thing is just write it down. And then if it's if it changes, change it. You know what I mean? It doesn't. It doesn't. It's not set in stone, right? So definitely, I think that's a good thing. Uh, that's one thing I do. The other thing is I would systematize everything you possibly can. Okay. So before two thousand and eight, I would say I really kind of. I didn't have that many units, okay? So, like, maybe I had 10 units. I don't I don't even know. So, I had, but so it's like you just kind of just do it. And you just kind of, you know, you kind of get through it, right? 
um, when you get more units, you realize it's like a lot of the turns are the same, right? And I learned this by going to the Minnesota Multi-Housing Association. And actually, one of your former guests was Kurt Flugel, who really taught me all this stuff, right? Mm-hmm. And I mean, I, I was up there front row writing all this down because he's Mr. Systematization, right? And um, and really, like every single time now, every single time a turn happens or somebody gives us their 60-day notice, we create a list. We created just a checklist online on a, on a website called Asana. It's totally free to use. It's A-S-A-N-A dot com. And uh, we create this online checklist. And it says, uh, okay, 60-day uh, notice. Then it says uh, place the ad on Zillow. Uh, number two, is, I mean, there's probably 100 things on there. Uh, place the ad on Zillow. Uh, tell the tenant when they owe rent through. Because sometimes we get a 30-day notice and we're like, sorry, your lease states 60-day notice. Or now it states two months, actually, because there's we, did, we didn't want to have any confusion on the days, right? We're not renting you an apartment per day. We're renting it to you per month. So it's two-month notice. Um, so let them know that they owe the rent through. Schedule a preliminary walkthrough, you know? Walk through the property and just take a peek at it and just tell them, hey, this and this and this need to get fixed, you know. And if 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 we're gonna move, if they're gonna move out on you know July first, maybe we want new carpet, you know. Well, don't wait till July first to order the carpet. Order it now, you know what I mean? Or a new refrigerator, maybe they broke, or you know, you just don't know, right? So then you create this entire checklist, and then and then you have another checklist that says um, after the tenant is approved, you know, make sure you have these five things signed, you know. Um, and then uh, move out day. Okay, move out day has got 10 things to do. You know, rekey the lock and uh, get the move out checklist and get the move out checklist signed and do all this stuff. You know, anyway, so if you have this system, then it's the same every time. Like, why am I remember, trying to remember this? And the other thing that I do with system is, systemization is that there's things that happen every year, okay? For the for I've been doing this since I was in college, so let's say about 20, 22 years now, okay? Just about two years ago, I finally started putting it in Google Calendar in October 1st saying, go to the units, go to the properties, and turn off the outside water. I mean, for years, I mean, I'd be out there, or my maintenance guy would be out there in December with a blowtorch trying to turn, heat up the wa- the pipe so it wouldn't freeze after it's already froze, and then trying to turn off the water. It's just, just put it in Google Calendar, set an annual reminder. In Google Calendar, it'll say, do you want to send a, us to send you an email? And then and then, it, and then you don't have to worry about anything. It's awesome, you know? So I would say just systematize, systematize, systematize. Yeah, that's huge. I mean, the shutting off the water spigots for the outside, changing the furnace filters, Oh, uh, right. I'll put that on my calendar <laughs> because I don't have that on yet. So yeah, there's that's these, a great idea. There's these things that need to happen on a routine basis. Absolutely. So yeah. why try to just remember them when you can go through the checklist and just have that be your memory? I love it. And if and, and the other cool thing about Google Calendar is you can write a checklist in Google Calendar. You can attach a file to it, right? So it's like, okay, change the furnace filter, which I'm going to put on my Google Calendar because I guarantee all my furnace filters are like this thick of dust because, <laughs> because I, don't, I haven't done that, you know? And so it's like you still learn, right? And uh, you do it once and then you never have to do it again. So then, uh, But then you put a checklist in Google Calendar. Like, how do you do it? You know, okay, you go and you pull the thing off and whatever, you know? So 
I love it. Yeah. Very good idea. By the way, going back to that website you mentioned, was yeah. that spe- for making lists? Is that specific to properties or is it just general list making? It's just a list making website. The other one I've heard a lot about is monday.com. I don't know anything about that one, but I think it's similar in the fact that it just it just creates a task list, okay? So I have a little team, you know. Because I have a full-time job, I can't can't spend a lot of time on properties, right? So I have a, a little team I have a uh, uh, in uh, a full-time uh, office person that just works in the office. And then I basically have a dedicated maintenance guy that um, is dedicated to my stuff, but he's not necessarily full-time. And then I, I'm, all, I'm lucky also to have uh, a father that's retired, and he spends a lot of time on my properties as well. So Okay. So uh, you mentioned that now. Does that... Uh... Are they having access to this yes. list on the website? or? Yeah, it's awesome. So when you go to this asana.com, um, you go there and you put in, you know, like you can do a master list. So like a master list for me is like the 60-day notice list, okay? Another list would be like just like weekly tenant calls, okay? We want to provide good service to the tenants, okay? It drives me freaking crazy that people pay a third of their income to landlords. And we're not treating them like like kings. You know what I mean? If you're going to give me a 30-year income, John, I'm going to like call you. I'm going to make sure you're happy. I'm going to call you and thank you for paying rent on time. You know, it's like I want to make sure that I'm providing you excellent service because it's a big deal, right? So one of the lists is tenant calls, okay? So a tenant might call and say, hey, I can't get my furnace going, okay? Well, um, it goes right into this tenant call. So then the, then the, ins, the office person will call the maintenance person and say, hey, they can't get their thing going. Can you go check it out? Okay. Well, it doesn't come off the Asana list unless it's done. You know what I mean? That's why, that's why it's like if somebody calls and then I call this other person and then, you know, they forget or something like that, then it's like the tenant calls two weeks later and is like, dude, I don't have a furnace, you know? But if it gets onto this list, it just never comes off until it's done. So I love that about it. Also, you can, like, uh, her name's Debbie. She can put, she, Debbie can put it, put it in there, and then she can assign that task to anybody. She can assign it to my father. She can assign it to my maintenance guy. She can assign it to herself. And then, you know, then, then you can go on to Asana and just see just the tasks that you're assigned. Or maybe it's a group task, you know. Um, and then everybody can put notes in there as well, and you can get it right on your phone. It's awesome. So oh, nice. Yeah. So that that sounds like a great tool to be using. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, it's awesome. So, well, why don't and we... it's free. <laughs> what a bonus! Hey, everybody, I'm interrupting the show quick because I wanted to invite you to a special event that I'm hosting at the end of 2019. You know, the end of the year during the holidays is a great time to be getting together with friends and family, making new memories and even new traditions. One new tradition that my family started a few years ago is volunteering at Feed My Starving Children. If you haven't heard of this organization, you should definitely check out their website. It's fmsc.org. Basically, they utilize volunteers to pack nutritious meals, and then they send those meals overseas to different areas of the world that have a significant need for food. These meals have made a huge impact in thousands of people's lives. And I really like volunteering with Feed My Starving Children for two main reasons. Number one, it gives you a tangible way to give back. It's not just giving money, which of course is important, but it allows you to use your time and your energy alongside of other people in a common cause. 
And number two, it fosters discussion of how we can live our lives serving others and not just be focused on ourselves. And since this is a family-friendly event, it allows us to live out this mindset right along with our children. So would you consider joining me? I've reserved 50 spots, and this is room for you, a friend, a loved one, to join with us and help out the cause. It would be really amazing to see you there. The date, time, and location is in the show notes. There's also a link that allows you to sign up and let us know that you're going to be there. And you can share that link with other people that you think might be interested. So thanks so much for considering it. Now, let's get back to the show. So why don't we transition into what you've already started to talk about, and that is your management team. Uh, You know, a lot of people will hire a third-party management company or do it themselves or kind of sounds like you're kind of vertically integrating. You've got some staff or, um, you know, so tell us a little bit of how that has developed for you. Well, I've, um, yeah, I mean, like when you own one house, I did everything myself, right? Because um, one, I'm, I'm pretty frugal, you know, I'm kind of proud of my frugality, actually, you know, I mean, I don't think it's a bad thing. I think that's what's allowed me to grow my business, you know? Um, and with that frugality comes like, if there's a tent toilet problem, I go and I mean, YouTube's awesome, right? Like, you can YouTube anything and figure out how to fix it, right? And it's fun to fix it because then when, when you fix it, then you, when you feel good, you know, number two, it's like next time when you have to hire a contractor and they say it's a $500 for a toilet, you know, flange, you're like, whoa, 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 that doesn't sound right, right? So you get some kind of knowledge as, as far as that goes. So, um, so I've grown my people over time, right? So maybe, and again, I think 2008 is kind of when that, one that maybe changed a little bit, but like, you know, 2008, it's like, okay, I was busy. Um, you know, I was buying properties. I was, I had my full-time job. I still have my full-time job and I'm working hard at that. And, um, and that's when I I think I really hired, I can't remember when I hired my assistant, but I hired her, um, you know, full-time actually hired her half-time to start with, I believe. Actually, I know I did. I hired a half time to start with, and then she lost her client for the afternoons. And so I was like, well, I'll just absorb you, you know? And it's been great, you know? And some days she's busy and really busy, and some days she's probably twiddling her thumbs, you know? Which, you know, isn't good, but it is what it is, you know? I mean, some you, you just you need help in this business, right? It goes back to McDonald's and stuff like that. If, if they were, if the Ray Kroc was flipping the hamburgers, he wouldn't be, he wouldn't be growing, you know? So, um, so that's how I got that. And then as far as maintenance guys go, I, uh, that's changed a lot over the years. Um, in before 2008, it was really hard to find maintenance people. And then 2008, nine and 10, I put an ad on Craigslist for $15 an hour and I'd get 50 emails and people begging me to hire them, you know? And, um, and now it's kind of getting harder again. Um, so I think you just got to really, um, I think you really got to treat the people that you work with, you know, like you want to be treated, you know, um, most people, uh, most people work hard for people they like, you know, and, um, and that's, that's kind of how I've grown that. Yep. So. so let's talk a little bit about your initial hire, your assistant. Um, how would you describe her role or her responsibilities? So, um, there I'm, I'm learning, you know what I mean? Um, and I, and, uh, so she, uh, you know, again, that's another one of those Asana things, right? Like, you've got to, 
I think the biggest thing with people and myself included is I don't want to hire somebody and then all of a sudden be responsible for keeping them busy, you know? Yeah. Because then it almost becomes another task, you know? And, you know, Joe Fairless, I think his name is, is, has a four-hour work week. He's got a great book on that, you know? Um, He says, one of the things he says uh, is, um, I try to read a lot of books and then implement them, you know? rather than just reading them. And I did read his book, and, and then I had implemented his strategies. But one of the things he said is, like, just give your assistant, and I hate to say assistant because I don't I think she does more than being an assistant. She's, I, I don't want her to be an assistant. I want her to be her own role, you know. Uh, so my property manager, uh, but I, it says give, give them everything, even things that would be way easier for you to do yourself, right? So, like, let's say I want to, uh, I don't know, run a report and see what, what cash flow was last year, you know, or last month, I don't know. And, you know, well, then I'm like, okay, I could do that in about 10 seconds, right? But if I if I give it to my a property manager to do, then she's going to learn how to do it for the next time, you know? Um, so I think that's how, when you're just starting off, how to do it with, a, with an employee is to just really give them everything and then, you know, learn as the way. And then, then when you're learning, go to Asana, and write it all out, or go to Google Drive and write it all out. So, like, uh, we we don't escrow any of our property taxes. We pay them all, you know, with a check, basically, uh, or or direct deposit or whatever uh, whatever that is. ACH. So one of the things she does every May fifteenth and October fifteenth is goes to the um, Hennepin County website or the St. Louis County website, or we have one property in Arizona, you know, and then. And she writes all this stuff down, or uh, there's just a list. It's just a checklist. It's like, okay, this is what you need to do to pay the property tax. And every time she's doing that. So you just got to systematize, systematize, systematize. Nice. Okay. And then you mentioned that you have uh, third-party contractors. Have you hired any, like, handyman as an employee or not? Yeah. So uh, um, one of my best friends from growing up... uh, uh, is an employment attorney. And I was, ha- you know, we played softball together a lot and broom ball and stuff like that and all this fun stuff. And she says, uh, she, I, she says, tell me about your maintenance, maintenance person. I said, oh, yeah, he's 1099 and, you know, all this stuff. She says, well, does he have the ability to profit or loss off any job? And I said, no. I'm like, you know, he doesn't have the ability to lose on a job. He just, you know, pay him per hour. She says, do you dictate his hours? I'm like, no. She says, do you, uh, does he provide his own tools? I'm like, yeah, for the most part. She says, does he bid every job for you, or do you just tell him to do it and then bill you later? You know, and I'm like, well, no, he, he doesn't, you know, provide me bids or or invoices and that stuff. And she's like, she's like, dude, you have an employee, you know, <laughs> and I think, and I mean, like, obviously an employee, right? Like, not even like a little bit, like, and uh, and I think that's one thing that is very very common in our industry. Most people hire people as 1099s, and I don't think they're trying to do anything wrong. It's just that they don't realize that the the hurdle to, to go from 1099 to employee is very low. I mean, very low. And uh, so, you know, I just want to, I want to be, I want to be a good, I want to be, I want to be, uh, I want to pretend I'm like a, a big company. So just act like a big company, you know, just, okay, no big deal. Just so whatever I did like two, three years ago, I said, okay, we'll just hire paychecks, you know, or ADP or any of those other companies, but we use paychecks and it's like, um, you know, they make it easy. 
So rather than, you know, making, you know, I don't know what he makes, but like, you know, it probably adds $2 an hour to his salary, which sucks, right? I mean, $2 an hour just for no value is, is sucks, right? But then you learn about uh, um, um, workers' comp insurance, which I had no idea what that was until two years ago, right? And workers' comp insurance, for anybody else that doesn't know, is basically insurance if that person gets injured on the job, Okay. Well, he has gotten injured on a job before, like not severely, but, you know, like a, you know, like a, uh, a splinter or something that, you know, that ingrown that he had to get cut out or maybe stubbed his toe or not stubbed his toe, but dropped something on his foot that you don't want to make sure that's not broken. So nothing severe, but like, but, but the way workers comp works is all he has to do is go to the, go to the, you know, urgent care and they'll, they'll treat it. And then he gives them the policy and it's all covered. It's, it's a fantastic thing. I mean, I know it's more expensive, but it's just it's just worth it. Yeah, so. that's huge. Yeah. Uh, I know back when I was managing properties myself for, for other people, um, when we hired third-party contractors, we always had to make sure that they have workers' comp insurance yeah. so that if they get hurt on the job, that they're covered. Yeah, no, exactly. It's, uh, it's, just, it's just the right thing to do. Yeah. And it's just... It, it just it makes it easier, honestly. Yep. Okay, so you've got uh, kind of an office uh, administrator. You've got maintenance, and then do you have somebody doing leasing, or do you take care of that? Yeah, no, I don't. I mean, I, I listen. I fill in when I can, right? But I really, I, I want to keep that mindset of I don't want to be in charge of anything. It's not because I'm lazy. It's because I know that I'm the first one to jump in and do it. And if I do it, then it's a uh, then, then I'm taking that away from something else. You know, I can't grow if I'm doing everything, right? So I want to kind of almost go the other way and do nothing, you know, um, uh, because I want to focus on growth, you know, and I want to focus on my full-time job, you know, and, and things like that. So um, so as far as leasing goes, um, we, in New Hope, I, I hired a person that, that lives at Hidden Park Condominiums. And she uh, and she does the leasing for me. She shows the units and stuff like that. In Hopkins, I have another person that'll sh- that'll do the leasing for me. Um, that person has become a little busy with other things, so I'm a little bit I'm a little bit strapped for somebody in Hopkins. So my maintenance guy, who is awesome by the way, has stepped up. You know, uh, my dad will step up and show units. Um, if it's like a Saturday or Sunday, I'll run over there and show a unit every once in a while. Um, you know, which is great. And then in Duluth, um, you know, you don't want to be able to, you don't want to be running up there every time you want a showing, right? So, um, what we do there is we actually find a current tenant that's living there. We pay him a hundred dollars to show the apartment, right? And then we, my office person will get all the leads from Zillow and she'll schedule like kind of an open house style thing where she'll say like, okay, on Saturday at two o'clock, you know, anybody who's interested will come up. And we'll pay the person $100, not per showing, but per, uh, per lease period. And then that person will, um, will show the apartments, okay? Now, our maintenance guy in Duluth is, is awesome, but sometimes he doesn't return calls. You know, sometimes he's busy for a couple of weeks because, again, I don't have enough units to hire somebody full-time. So now all of a sudden, like, he's kind of managing another job and then I'm trying to get my stuff in on the side, right? So uh, that's a struggle, right? And how are you going to handle that, you know? And, um, you know, so right now we're trying to find a new maintenance guy in Duluth, potentially. 
Um, you know, and then, and then the maintenance guy can sometimes show it. So as far, I, I, I get a little worried, honestly, with our, with our showings because I think anybody right now in this industry can show apartments and be successful doing it. You know what I mean? I'm, in, I'm a full-time salesperson. You know, I've been a full-time salesperson my whole life. I, I see how bad we are at leasing, you know, but we're still getting it at least, right? So what do you do? Then you, um, you, just, you, just, you just try to get better at it every time, right? So that might have to change if, uh, if, if the economy goes down. Okay. Very good. So then just overall, just handling employees and subcontractors, yeah. um, maybe what's your kind of philosophy of dealing with people? Yeah. And uh, make sure that things are running smoothly there. Well, I don't, I don't know if this fits in or not, but, uh, but maybe it does. Um, I, I decided a long time ago that I, I'm going to eat every day. You know, you're going to eat every day for the rest of your life, right? I mean, honestly, I just feel that way. Like, <laughs> there'll never be a day that I won't have enough to eat, right? Because if, let's say, let's say I was dropped off in the middle of, you know, uh, nowhere, right? It's like, um, I can go fish, I can go, you know, whatever. I mean, we don't have to belabor that topic, but we're going to eat every day, right? So, so if that's, if that, that, if that's done, then it's like, treat people like awesome, you know, like the way that you want to be treated, right? Like, like everybody's trying to scrape together like every last penny on some of the stuff or, you know, or like, you know, we give, we give tenants like, um, thank you notes all the time, you know? Uh, my son just bought a mountain bike, which totally is related to the industry. But then we wrote the guy that helped us a thank you know, and gave him a $25 gift card to a restaurant that he recommended. You know what I mean? It's like things like that. It's like it costs nothing. If you look at it as an annual expense, okay, and you just say, hey, I'm going to spend $1,000 or $2,000 a year and just thanking people. Like, like holy crap, dude. Like, like those tenants that are giving you a third of their income, you know. I ran around and bought some turkeys the other last thanksgiving which i don't know if that's a good thing or not i you know i mean you're handing them this huge turkey you know it's like in a one bedroom apartment <laughs> but i remember my first job out of college my company gave me a 25 dollars gift card to cup foods and i bought some i bought a thanksgiving and i had all my friends over and i still remember that it was awesome you know i remember that so um i i think you just treat people the way you want to be treated and 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 it just like good things happen and it's not out of like if i do this then they're gonna pay rent on time you know it's just that it's like it's a lot more fun to go through life by you know it's a lot more fun to go through life working with people than against people you know so uh that's kind of my theory on all of that yeah so well that's good that's really important rather i mean nobody wants yeah. to work for mr scrooge and <laughs> yeah yeah i mean you just you just don't right life's too short yeah very good. Um, so let's talk a little bit. You've already covered this, but more specifically for tenants, um, how have you created like a great customer experience for tenants so that they really want to live at your properties? And um, yeah, what does that mean for you? Uh, what does customer service mean for you when it comes to tenants? Well, I love that question because I think um, I think it's like the most important thing out there, right? Because I mean, people say this all the time. This isn't a problem. This isn't a you don't manage buildings, you manage people, right? And um, and honestly, like, I'm always thinking of ways to better improve the, the customer experience, right? 
because I am I'm in sales, right? And people buy from people they like. You know, there's a lot of apartments out there. Uh, people move because they hate their landlord. You know, um, so I think I think one of the things you need to do if you're you know if you're thinking about your own business is that I think you need to have a customer like a log like we do, where it says if a customer calls in or a tenant calls in and they say, hey, I want to, um, you know, I'm that my X Y Z is broken. I think you got to get back to them, you know, and show them that that that's an important call. We understand, and we're going to get to it. And then I think you need to follow up afterwards. Okay, you need to follow up and say, um, "Hey, was that? Did we fix that to your satisfaction?" Now there's some danger in that, right? Because like we have a ten, we have a house in Duluth right now, and um, and they uh, they called us up and they said, "Well, there's raccoons or something living in the <laughs> in the attic." I mean, a raccoon's like huge, right? So we're like a raccoon. Holy crap, you know? So we call this call this company, uh, and they they you know you a hundred bucks, and they come over and they you know get rid of the 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 whatever's living up there. Well, it turned out to be mice, you know, like this big, you know, and uh, and then uh, we call them back up, the tenant, and then we said, hey, we just want to make sure everything you know is fixed to your satisfaction, and you you know, and they said, no, 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 we still hear the raccoons, and we're like, what, you know? And we've worked with this wildlife control company before, and they've been great. So I'm a little surprised to hear that. So we send them back for another hundred bucks, and then they do a they they do something around the perimeter of the of the house, and they did something around you know whatever, uh, another hundred dollars. And then uh, we call them up and we say, hey, we, we sent the guy twice now. Um, we uh, are you are you is this fixed to your satisfaction? And they're like, no, 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 we still hear him, and we're like, oh frick, you know, why do we even call? <laughs> you know, so like, there's not, there, we might stop calling that particular person back, right? But it's like, but I mean, in general, it's like, call them up, say, hey, thank you for the call, you know, and we'll get somebody on it right away, you know, and get somebody on it right away because what happens is, I think when a lot of people end up in lawsuits in this industry is because. You know, they called their landlord and it was leaking and they never fixed it and they called them four times and now I'm not going to pay rent. And it's like the downside is so down, right? Just do it, get it done, make sure they're happy with it and go on, move on. So, yeah, that was huge right there. I know yeah. uh, when I was first married, yeah. uh, we moved into an apartment and yeah. it was uh, February and our heat went out. Oh, jeez. And yeah. So we called and called and we went to our property management company and we just got no response for days and oh days. Oh my God, and in, it's in, heat, yeah. In the coldest, coldest month of the year. Yeah, exactly. Um, and actually, it all it went all the way to you know city council oh, and we no. got on the news. Oh, no. <laughs> I'm one of your worst nightmares <laughs> no. as a tenant. No, no, but, no. No, no, that you, because the, the landlord's the one that screwed that hole up. They're yeah, the one they never responded to me. Like, even... up. Even when they fixed it, I like, oh, the heat's working. Oh, good. They, yeah. They didn't follow up. They didn't so. say, we're going to be done Tuesday. And then they didn't call yeah. on Wednesday and say, is it fixed? And yeah. Yeah. There was no follow up. Exactly. So, so that was that was a, actually a huge reason why I got into real estate. I was like, I'm sure I could do that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah. So. Oh, that's funny. Yeah. yeah. Follow up is, is huge. Um, How many years ago was that? Oh, about. 12 to 13 years yeah ago. okay yeah yeah i don't know yeah there's so many people here's one thing too is that i think i don't know this is totally off topic but like i think you need to get into it with your associations you know what i mean every city's got an association you know minnesota multi-housing association is one that i'm on the board of or uh 
Minnesota multi or Minnesota real estate exchange is another good one. And it's like, just learn from all these people. There's so many people that treat this business as a hobby, but it's a highly regulated industry. Right. And I'm shocked with your, your experience. You know, maybe I'm not, but like, it's like they need systems for, you need systems, right? You're going to have a tenant call you and tell you there's a heat out. So what are you going to do when that happens? Right. Yeah. You're going to have a tenant call you and they say they can't pay rent on time. You know, yeah. what's your system? Yeah. So. Yeah. And while there's so many uh, new experiences in this business, yeah, exactly. to a certain extent, there's there's nothing new. I mean, you know, everything's been seen before. So you, exactly. you're right. You can prepare for these things and have a plan of action. Yeah. So wonderful. I had a tenant pass away in one of my units uh, a long time ago, like 2005 or four, you know, or three. And, and then I had another tenant die, you know, in one of my units, like, you know, not too long ago, you know, and it's like, it's like this stuff happens, right? I mean, people live in your houses, you know, I mean, that people pass away sometimes and, you know, whatever. I mean, you just, 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 just deal with it. So, yeah. Okay. Well, wonderful. So right now I have a question from our audience. So I'm going to pull that up here. Awesome. Hey, John, Scott Jacklin here. Uh, First of all, I want to thank you for uh, your videos. They are very helpful, add a lot of value, and I want to thank you for that. And now I have a question for you. Um, we have uh, some properties in Uptown that uh, when we post them for rent, we get a lot of response. And uh, my question to you is, how do you handle when you get a lot of response to a property? How do you uh, find the best tenant out of the 10 or 15 or 20 that are interested and leasing up your unit. Um, that's uh, something that uh, would definitely be of value to us. Thanks. Bye. Good question. Um, a little bit of a scary question because uh, two things. Number one, your rent's probably too low if you're getting that many options. If you're getting just overwhelmed with with uh, with uh, calls. Okay. Um, number two. Yeah, so I'd, I'd probably raise the rent, you know, now you can't raise the rent and do a bait and switch thing where like, oh, well, we, uh, you know, he sounds like he has a bunch of properties. So maybe, you know, raise it on the next one. Or what I, what we've done sometimes is we'll put an ad out for like a thousand bucks and we'll get like, you know, 20 calls or 30 calls. And it's like, whoa, wait a second. That's too much. Right. Or it's too many people. So we'll, we'll then we'll raise the rent on that unit to 1100 bucks. But we'll say, hey, if they called in on the $1,000 ad, we're going to honor that. I mean, for gosh sakes, right? We're not going to say, oh, sorry. Um, so I, I would honor the rent for sure, but maybe raise it for anybody, any future calls. Okay, so that's number one. Number two is really because of federal fair housing laws, you have to take the first person that apply, that, that is approved. So uh, the, the first person that comes in to your building that fills out an application in full, it pays the application fee. You need to run that application, and if they qualify, they qualify, and they get the apartment. If uh, somebody else comes in uh, after them and they have a better credit score or they're, you know, uh, or whatever, then then they they you don't give it to them and say I like this person better because you're opening yourself up for for a discrimination lawsuit. You know, um, the other thing though is that. The, there's a little bit of subjectivity to leasing for some people, right? Um, the, I'd say if somebody comes in and is totally rude to your to your staff, but they have a 700 credit score and they, you know, good rental history and, and they, they make the correct amount of money, 
then it's like, you know what, we're denying this person based on the fact that they were a total jerk. And these are the reasons that they were a total jerk, you know. They, they yelled at us, you know, they spit in my face. I mean, I don't know what it is, you know, but like, then you need to document that stuff and say this is the reason we're not renting to them, you know, and have actual documentation. Not that we just like this one better than the other one. So that's where I think, you know, you know, you need to get involved with your associations and really, uh, really uh, and learn the, the federal fair housing law. Yeah. So that's how I deal with that. Very good. So number one, making sure your rent is where it needs to be. That's huge. Yep. And then having kind of processes and systems so that you uh, can, uh, you know, have the criteria set up so that you know when somebody can be approved and then approve that person. Yeah, so what we do is we actually have a rental requirements page, which everybody should have, right? Um, and I can help. If anybody wants these documents, John, they can reach out to you and I, I can forward it to them or whatever. But, um, you know, we have a rental requirements page, which is like, you know, it has a minimum credit score. Now, that some of that's going to change because of the state, city of Minneapolis, although I don't own anything in Minneapolis. But uh, we have a minimum credit score. We have... Um, we have a positive rental history. We have no evictions allowed, you know, uh, for the last some number of years. We have no felonies allowed for a certain number of years. We have no bankruptcies allowed for a number of seven years or whatever, you know. So I forget all of them, but that's basically them. And, um, oh, and then you have to make a certain amount over the rent, right? So, um, so anyways, we have this rental requirements and they sign it. The applicant actually signs it. So they're like, hey, if you, if you, if you meet this, you're, you're approved, you know? And a lot of times I'll coach them and I'll say, I mean, I won't coach them, but I'll say, hey, make sure you meet these because I don't want to waste your 35 bucks, honestly. Like, I don't make any money off of $35. It goes to the, it goes to the, uh, the screening company. So, um, uh, number one, you can't make money off your application fee. Um, number two is like I don't want to I don't want to waste somebody's thirty five bucks because thirty five bucks to me is a lot of money, you know. Yeah. So it's like here's the rental requirements and then here's the application. So I would I would have rental requirements as well. Yeah. So wonderful. Well, that's lots of good stuff. I would just talk to our audience quick and mention uh, thanks first of all to Scott for turning in that submitting that question, and we uh, really like having questions from our audience. It kind of makes the conversation a little bit more dynamic and interactive. So. Um, if anybody else has a burning question for their, you know, how to deal with something in their own rental properties, uh, be sure to check the show notes. I've got some instructions of how you can submit a question. So. Awesome. All right. So next I want to talk about maintenance and capital improvements. Um, so uh, what's a way that you kind of track the materials and um, appliances and just different things that are in your property so mm -hmm. that you know, when something breaks or when something needs to be upgraded, you're not kind of scrambling thinking, well, what paint color was that? What yeah. chain do I uh, use? Yeah, good question. And I hope my dad never listens to this podcast because he's been talking <laughs> about this for years <laughs> and we've never done it. Um, so he uh, he's always says we need a list of appliances in each unit, what year they were purchased, so we can go into that unit, in, you know, go into that unit uh, via Google Docs and see when, you know, how, well, how old is the refrigerator, you know? If the tenant's calling and saying that refrigerator isn't working, do we send a, a repair guy or do we send a new refrigerator, you know? If it's 10 years old, you send a new refrigerator. If it's one year old, you send a repair guy, you know? So so uh, I don't have the best system with that. What we have done, though, which we have done well, is um, we have one paint color, 
Now we just changed it. It was a sand fossil. <laughs> Every unit out there is sand fossil. It looks like a like sand, I guess. It's beautiful color. Um, we just do uh, switch to a new gray, which is a gray color, you know. And now we're switching all our units over to that. So paint wise, absolutely, you need some sort of paint scheme because in Duluth we used to like you know let the tenants paint it. And what happens is when you're a tenant and you're like going to paint it, and you're only going to live there for a year. You're going to try some cool color like hot pink or, you know, <laughs> super dark blue, you know, or something like that. If you're going to move into it with your family and you, you don't want to want to paint again in 10 years, you're going to pick more of a neutral color. Right. So what happened is we ended up with all these goofy colors in Duluth. So um, so now what we do is we just do everything in new gray and and it's a great color and it's beautiful. Right. Um, so that's how we handle paint color uh, regarding everything else. You know, we just don't have enough units to really worry about it as much as I think, you know, and we're pretty quick to pull the trigger on new appliances. Uh, it's expensive to send a, a maintenance guy for a new refrigerator or a refrigerator. So it might be 150 bucks or maybe 200 bucks to repair a refrigerator that costs 500. It's like, yeah, but if you buy a new fridge, then it's 500 bucks and it's new and then you don't have to worry about it anymore. It's probably more energy efficient and all sorts of things. Usually those come with a warranty. Usually, yeah. And then the other thing is a lot of people, we were really, really slow to do the stainless steel thing. And we're still pretty slow to do it. But um, anytime we renovate a unit now, we go to stainless steel because it's not that much more expensive. Mm -hmm. um, and then as far as appliances go too, tenants really like dishwashers. So um, if, uh, if you don't have a dishwasher in your unit you, for about 400 or 500 bucks, you can buy a, um, a portable one. It might be a good a good way to go, and then get that get that people in the, in there. Yeah. So. Well, that kind of touches on my next question, which is, yeah. what kind of capital improvements do you select to make sure that you're attracting the best tenants? Yeah, that's another really really good question, and there's no easy answer to that, right? Now, that's what I like about condos. Okay, a condo you can go in and gut the thing and put it back together for fifteen thousand dollars. Okay. I mean, 12.5 if you're really careful, you know? And I mean, it's just nice to know that, right? So you, you hire a vendor that can do the uh, kitchen. Uh, so a kitchen and an appliance uh, for a kitchen and an appliance package for um, a condo is uh, almost exactly $5,500. And now that's with you tearing it out. So your maintenance person has to tear it out or you have to tear it out. But I mean... You know that 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 thing just shines after that, right? Uh, another, you know, putting new carpet in is going to be twenty five hundred bucks. You know, or or new solid surface flooring. Most companies. That's another advantage I have is that because I sell blinds to apartment buildings, I'm 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 always in brand new apartment buildings, so I can see what the new trends are. It's kind of fun, you know, and I can incorporate that some stuff with mine. One company called uh, I think it's Aimco out of Denver, they have like 30,000 units or maybe more, maybe it's 60 or 90, I don't know, it's a huge number of units. They don't have any carpet in their buildings, you know. Um, they're putting the luxury vinyl tile down. So it's like, okay, if that's what the big guys are doing, just do that. Like, you don't have to, you know, debate it, debate it really hard, just do it, right? Yeah. And uh, if you find a good vendor, and you, and you can typically find good vendors through the Minnesota Multi-Housing Association or whatever association you have, right? And then, uh, and then have them do that stuff. So, um, so the way we, the other reason, the other way we handle capital improvements in condos specifically is you pay a reserve every month. So the the association will actually pay into reserves 
a certain amount. So one of one of my associations, the the uh, the condo pays about five hundred dollars a year per unit into the uh, reserve account. Okay, that's awesome, right? It's kind of like forced savings for roofs and parking lots and things like that. When you're doing it as an apartment building, um, my apartment building, it kind of catches you off guard. You know, you're like, oh, you know, crap, we got to pay a new, you know, put a new parking lot in. Well, you know, really, we should probably be reserving just like that into things. But I tell you what, I don't know anybody that does it, you know. So um, what I would do, I guess, is when you buy it, fix it up immediately and just be done with it. Consider it a part of the purchase price. Yeah. Well, I think that's a huge um, thing. Going back to to the business planning discussion, um, condos are a great example of how they plan ahead for these capital improvements because they're going to need that roof or that heater or whatever the windows. And so in in the condo situation, you're kind of forced to plan for it. But you're right. Uh, rental owners just ignore it and then when it comes up they're like oh man thirty thousand dollars for this (laughs) where did this come from yeah well anybody else could have seen it (laughs) where did it come from yeah exactly so i think that's just huge uh actually creating a reserve account for your rental units uh, and actually putting stuff into it you know i had a house in duluth i have a house in duluth that um i put a new roof on and i put a new roof on probably five or 10 years ago you know but the guy that i hired that's a nightmare of a story but well i'll tell you real quick so the guy (laughs) wanted 50 percent down he tears the roof off the tenants call back you know this is probably before i had my office roof on the tenants call back they're like hey is that guy coming back and i'm like what are you talking about he's not done they're like no he tore the roof off like two weeks ago and he never showed back up again well i found out he went to jail so uh after i'd already paid him my 50 percent down so I hired another guy. That guy came in and um, and nailed it incorrectly, basically, you know. So uh, he he did a poor job installing the roof. So then we had a bunch of wind damage in Duluth. Well, I couldn't get a claim on my insurance because it was installed pro- improperly. So yeah. then I just had to hire another company, a company company, to come in and just do it. And this was all painful and all expensive and all everything, you know, and. Um, and it is what it is, but I mean, like, you know, there's so many lessons there. Like, you should be reserving, you know, for expenses. Like you're saying, that roof, every single every single day that roof is getting, you know, one day closer to the end of its usable life. So just because you spent, you know, $10,000 on a roof, you know, 10 years ago, if if it's, you know, a 20-year roof or whatever, you know, or say 10-year 10, 10 roof for easy math, that's $1,000 a year. You know, that adds up, right? So that's just for the roof. So why not be putting that away, you know, at least mentally, if not physically. So. Yeah, yeah, wonderful. Okay, well, uh, one thing I want to talk about and highlight in this show is just how um, despite all the, the benefits of having real estate, there are some challenges. Yeah. And, you know, there's, there's always something new, uh, something that makes you kind of pull your hair out. Um, any stories come to mind that just say only in rental properties? Uh, yeah. Wow. What am I doing here? Yeah. You know, it's uh, that's a that's an interesting question. And I actually, I actually think you have to be really careful in rental properties, right? And you have to be really careful in the fact that you don't burn yourself out, because what happens is, like, if you own one house, okay, 
you you do everything and you know whatever, right? You may have an eviction every five years or ten years or I don't know. But if you have sixty five units, you know, you're always dealing with like one or two people that just drive you crazy, right? But but you got to remember there, it's like maybe one person, right? You got to remember there's sixty four other people, or maybe there's a hundred other people because you you know you got some multiple tenants, you know. So you might have one out of a hundred tenants that that is a challenge. But you got 99 great tenants, you know what I mean? And you really, really, really got to keep reminding yourself that, hey, this is just one person that out of the group, right? And they might have some other things going on, you know? I mean, maybe they've got some mental health issues going on, or maybe they've got some other problems, you know? Maybe they lost their job, you know? It's like, you know, we want to be compassionate, but we also have a lease to follow, you know? Um, so... Um, so I think you have to keep reminding yourself that you um, have a, that you have 99 good tenants and 99% of your tenants are awesome. This one challenging tenant is maybe just going through some tough stuff. Um, but, uh, uh, but how do you manage that one tenant? Oh, so there's two ways to do that, right? Number one is you got to force yourself to talk to the people that never call. Okay. If a tenant never calls and always pays rent on time, we're not calling them and saying, Hey, thanks for paying rent on time. And I think you have to force yourself to do that. Just touch base with them. And, you know, maybe once a quarter or once a year, even, I don't know how often the magic number is, but just call them up and say, Hey, thank one. Thanks for always paying rent on time. Two, thanks for being a tenant. And three, um, is there anything I can do for you? You know, uh, or send them a thank you card or, you know, $5 Starbucks card. Again, these people are paying 30% of their income to you, right? A $5 Starbucks card costs nothing. In my other business where I sell blinds to apartment buildings, if somebody's going to give me a huge contract every year, I'm going to be taking them out to lunch, taking them out to the ball game. You know, I'm going to do all sorts of things. Why wouldn't I be doing that the same? Similar thing, maybe not that scale, but similar thing with apartment you know, people. So, um, so th- there's a few things that have been making me pull my hair out, but the number one thing comes down to communication. If if a tenant's not going to communicate with you or communicate or lie to you, you know, then I think you need to um, I think you need to pull the bandaid off and part ways with them. You know, I had one tenant. Um, I think there's creative ways to handle that, but I had one tenant that um, you know owed rent, and I was in uh, I was in Arizona for Christmas, you know, with my family and. And she's, you know, I'm dealing with, I'm dealing with this tenant and I'm saying, Hey, I, you know, what do we, you know, what do we need to do to just be done? She's like, well, I, I'm going to get you some money and here, I'm going to send it to you Western Union. And, you know, it's, oh, it's down at Western Union. So I drove down to Western Union and it's not there. And then I call her up, you know, and this is going on for like days, you know, or weeks, you know. And, and I mean, I don't know if you can, I, I'm not in her situation, so, like, I'm sure she was strapped for cash and didn't know what else to do and all that stuff. So, you know, so, I mean, I mean, I do feel for her situation a little bit. But one thing, one way to handle that kind of stuff, I think you need to do as a as a professional landlord, you need to figure out a way to part, part ways with some people, you know. And, and legally, I mean, you know, and so what we did is we, I told her, I said, I tell you what, what, you know, what, what does it take you to get out of this place? And she said, well, I tell you what, all I need to do is I need to, um, um, I don't know how to move my stuff. I have a place to stay, but I don't have a place to move my stuff. And I said, well, you know what? Um, as a landlord, you have, after they move out, you have 28 days and then you can dispose of their stuff, you know? Uh, but, 
you don't want to do that, right? I mean, it's just you just want to you just want to minimize the pain, right? For everybody involved. So what we did is she moved out, and then I and then I hired my maintenance guy and myself and my my dad again, <laughs> who uh, we uh, went over there on a Saturday and we we took all our stuff and she was going to help, but she never showed up or she showed up late or something like that. Uh, she was going to bring a bunch of people and. But we, you know, I borrowed a truck and I had a trailer and we took all our stuff out and we put it in storage. And then I paid for the first month of storage for her. And then she took over the lease in the storage unit. And we all parted with friends. You know what I mean? So I think that's how you handle that kind of stuff is like you just, uh, you know, you don't throw all this stuff out in the yard when that's illegal. And, you know, maybe even try to avoid eviction because that's not fun for anybody. It's expensive and it's hard for them to find a new apartment. You know what I mean? Yeah. But uh, I think if you can handle it from a creative way, um, then uh, then you can get then you can manage that manage yep. through that stuff. Yep. So let's turn that coin on its head yeah. and talk about what has been like the biggest benefit of being a landlord and having rental properties. That's a very good question. Um, I think the big, biggest benefit is probably freedom. I mean, passive income is phenomenal, right? Like. Guys like you and I, or maybe probably everybody listening to your podcast, it's easy. Active income is easy because you, you, we can all go to Domino's today and get a job delivering pizzas, you know? And I can work 80 hours a week delivering pizzas, and I can spend the, another 20 hours a week working, you know, raking lawns, and I can, I can clean houses. I mean, you know, you can go work at McDonald's. I mean, active income is easy, right? The hard thing is figuring out how to create passive income. And passive income would be what I, my definition of passive income is uh, income that you don't have to work for every day. Um, I'm not saying you never have to work for it, but you, but you don't, it's not an everyday demand. Like, right, like today, I would be surprised if more than two people called us. You know, that means, that means 63 units today are passive income, you know. And and that and that's why I think is the hugest advantage is passive income, nice and freedom. So that's, that's huge. I yeah. think a lot of us or all of us are after that passive income and freedom. So totally agree. So yeah, wonderful. So you know, uh, looking forward into the real estate market that we're in, we just talked about earlier how prices are crazy high. Yeah. Um, and along with that, you know, rental rates are high, which has been great for us. Um, in your experience for like how long it's taking to lease up a place, yeah. do you feel like this is going to continue on or, you know, I'm not expecting you to be an expert economist. Oh, but... I, I got it all figured out actually. <laughs> oh, well, <laughs> you want to know? Go you know the answer. Um, so here's my, here's my theory on the whole thing is that millennials, um, millennials watch their parents get hammered in the real estate industry, you know, growing up. Right. Um, and you know, that's not with a hundred percent, you know, certainty, but like, you know, millennials on it in general, watch their parents go through the 2008, nine, 10 crisis. Right. They're like, why would I ever want to own an apartment, you know, or a house. Right. And I, there's a lot of advantages to renting. Right. Um, you don't have to, if you want to move, you just move, right. You just give your notice to move. You know, if you want to move and you own a house, you got to sell the thing. Um, so, but I, what I think is going to happen is that the average age of a millennial right now is like maybe 28, something like that. Um, if, in, if that person ha gets married and has a kid, 
you know, let's say gets married at 30 and has a kid at 32, then the average millennial will be looking to buy a house, you know, or, you know, or at least the, the trend will start to go towards houses because, you know, I mean, there's a lot of advantages to houses too. I mean, you, you know, you, you, you uh, secure your, your payment for as long as you negotiate your mortgage, you know, um, you know, you have a bigger yard potentially and all this stuff, you know, you move into the school district that you want, you know, and, and all that stuff. So I, right now, um, the home ownership rate is the lowest it's ever been since like 1965. Okay. I don't see, I think things go in ups and downs. Okay. Right now we're at a down in the home ownership rate. So what is going to happen is when, you know, when millennials are 32, in my opinion, about four years, people are going to start buying more properties. And then, and then people, then the, the mindset of the country is going to shift from owner, from renters to owners. So that's what I think is going to happen. Okay. So that's going to decrease the demand for rentals? It'll decrease the demand for rentals. It'll, uh, it'll, uh, decrease the, uh, it'll decrease the occupancy rate. And as soon as the occupancy rate decreases, then people have to put up, uh, concessions meaning like they'll have to give away one month free rent to get somebody into their apartments or something like that. So, um, so that's, you know, so then that's going to increase the economic vacancy as well. So yeah, it'll, um, it'll affect our industry for nice. sure. Okay. So you heard it here first from Brian Doyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you say it long enough, it's eventually you're right. So <laughs> well, for the next four years, we're going to experience some rent growth, but after that, it's going to fall off. <laughs> yeah. And I mean, I think it'll, I think it'll be more of a, I think it'll be more of a gradual, you know, plateau, and then I think it'll start falling off. Yeah. So that's my theory. Wonderful. All right. Well, Brian, uh, we've t- covered quite a bit here. I do need to get this wrapped up, but just a couple of closing questions so that the audience can kind of get to know you a little bit better. Um, first of all, why do you get up in the morning? Mm, good question. Um, you know, I learned a long time ago, probably in Cub Scouts, that you, I want to be the best whatever that I'm that I'm doing. If I'm in an association, I want to be the president of it. Um, if I, uh, if I'm in a salesperson, I want to be the number one salesperson for that company. If I, uh, if I have tenants, I want to have the, I want to be the, I want to be the best land. I want them to leave that relationship saying that was the best landlord I've ever had in my whole entire life, you know? Um, and, and that's what really gets me up in the morning. Like I, I love, I love, um, uh, it's not really success. I just love, uh, I love the game, you know, it's fun for me and I love, maybe I'm a people pleaser. Maybe that's what, what it is. But, um, really I love, uh, I love action, right? Like what did you accomplish today? I want to, every day I want to sit down and say, I accomplished something today. So that's kind of what gets me up. Nice. Yeah. Okay. Now, and looking back in your life, yeah. what is the event or person in your history that has been pivotal about, uh, creating who you are today? Oh, that's a great question because I do think you're a summary of your experiences. Um, there's a lot of people, you know, a lot of people that have been really pivotal in my life. Um, I mean, the easy answer is my my parents, right? You know, I mean, I, I, I was really, really lucky to grow up with a good family, you know, that loved me, that, um, that supported me, you know, and that's continued to support me. So... Um, you know, that they're, they're the easy answer and they're, you know, probably the most, you know, probably the most, uh, they probably have the most influence over that. Uh, there's some, a lot of really good friends that I've had over the years that, um, that I've learned from, um, you know, and there's a lot of good friends now. I mean, 
I'm thinking back in the day, you know, a friend of mine, Scott Sathers, was really pivotal in who I am. Uh, he seemed to enjoy every moment of his life, which was awesome. And then, uh, and then now, I mean, I, I try to hang out with the people that, uh, that really, you know, I view as the leaders in the industry. I mean, um, Stuart Simic's one of them that I can think of. Uh, Kurt Flugel's one of them, you know. Um, there's just a bunch of people. Jennifer Spadini, I know some of, a lot of your people that have been on this show. Um, I just think that, you know, you become who you hang out with. And, uh, and I've got another story about that. It's maybe a different day, but like, uh, you really become the people you hang out with and you, you, you better look around at your friends and decide, you know, are these people that I, that I admire? And if not, you, you really need to find some new friends, honestly. Yeah. Wonderful. Okay. So, and if anybody that's been listening to this wants to get in touch with you, kind of learn more about your philosophy on management and, and just pick your brain about that. What's the best way that they can get a hold of you? Well, I like email. I know people hate email, but I like it uh, because you can do it at any time of the day or night. And uh, my email is uh, Brian, which is B-R-I-A-N, uh, Doyle, or excuse me, Brian at DoylePropertyGroup.com. So, uh, okay. yeah. Wonderful. So I want to thank you again, Brian, for coming into the studio today and spending oh, yeah. this time with us. Thank you, John. Uh, just a small gift as my uh, token of my appreciation oh. is about maximizing your property value. Oh, that's official so cool. Bug. Oh, wow. I love it, man. This is awesome. I drink coffee every morning. Now. Uh, thank you. Good. Well, that kind of That's answers awesome. my question. I was going to say, you're more likely to put coffee or hot chocolate in there. Oh, yeah. Coffee for sure. And okay. then, uh, yeah, hot chocolate too, I guess. I don't know. All <laughs> of the above. No, that's very nice of you, John. Thanks. And thanks for doing this, man. I think it's. I think this is a highly regulated industry and people need to learn about it. And uh, it's a great way to learn about it is, is, is through these things, kinds of things. So, yeah. Awesome. Well, again, I appreciate you coming in and all the best to you. Yeah, thanks, John. All right. Appreciate Bye now. The opinions shared on this show are for informational purposes only and should not be taken as a solicitation for representation or investment in any specific offering. Please consult with your financial, legal, tax, and real estate advisor before making any investment decisions. John Stiles is a licensed Minnesota real estate agent with Bridge Realty. Thanks for tuning in to Maximizing Your Property Value, the apartment owner's guide to operating rental properties as a successful business. If you're considering scaling up, downsizing, or right-sizing your real estate investment portfolio, it's important to know how to determine your property's value in today's market. That's why I've put together a free ebook for you called How to Calculate Your Investment Property's Value. To get your copy, go to www.realestatestyles.com forward slash value. Now, if you found any value in today's show, be sure to subscribe to our email newsletter, YouTube channel, and podcast through your favorite podcast player. All the links are in the show notes. And would you do me a big favor? Help me get the word out about this show by sharing with your friends on Facebook and LinkedIn. And lastly, we appreciate your five-star rating on iTunes. I really appreciate you and wish you the best in your real estate investing career. Signing off, I'm John Stiles with Bridge Realty. Make it a great day.